Well, for the last few weeks, we have been in Isaiah 55, and it's been rich, and it's been wonderful. And uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that Tom and I are going back and forth, exchanging weeks, and and working our way through this very uh, wonderful chapter in Isaiah. And I would encourage you to read that during the week also, and just read through it, and, and just the promises and the invitations. And we've actually called this series come. It's an invitation. Come. And, uh, and we're just going to walk through that a little bit today. Uh, in review, though, the first week, Tom brought it and he says, you know, come all who are thirsty. It was a getting our attention. Remember the hey! And, and that all who are thirsty, it's about everyone. Come on, this is open for everybody. Come on. The second week, come and you will find life, was an invitation to live a life of meaning and fulfillment. And then last week, Pastor Tom brought an amazing teaching about come and receive your full forgiveness. And we learned about the loving call, the loving invitation from God to be forgiven. We learned about things like uh, substitutionary atonement versus ransom. And if you don't know what those mean, check us out on the web here. It's gcvineyard.org. All the, all the past ones and, and actually all of our past sermons are available there for download. If you need to catch up or if you miss one, most of them actually have uh, teaching notes with you too. So if you'd like to take notes along the way, they'd be great for you. So uh, today we're actually going to continue uh, in, our, in chapter 55 with verses 8 and 9. And uh, let's shoot that one up there. There we go. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would open up this word to us today that the richness and the fullness of your grace, of your mercy, of your love would just overflow to us from your word. And Father God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive what you would have for us today. This word that you have of invitation to come. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this, as you can tell, these two, uh, of, of all the ones we've talked about, these two really don't give us a uh, direct invitation, do they? There's no word come in there. It's not, hey, hey, come and understand this, or hey, come and do this. Instead, it's a declaration. And, uh, and so we kind of, I titled this a little differently, and, and, and I'm going to explain what I mean by this. It's come and be at peace. Come and be at peace. We talked about all who are thirsty receiving. We talked about finding life and getting forgiveness. Today is about receiving God's peace. And you may go, okay, well, how does this have to do with God's peace? Well, that's why you're here. So let's start with uh, the first part of this. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And just, you know, if we look at this, the thoughts and the ways, the ways meaning actions, the things that we do, Really, those two things kind of define a lot of who we are, don't they? My thoughts and what I do about them. You can look at a person and tell a lot about a person uh, by what they do, by who they are. Are they living out their faith? Is there a lot of fruit there? Or are they just ticking me off all the time? But we get that. We can see that. We can understand that. 
And God is saying, hey, here's the thing, though. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your actions, they're not the same as mine. And, he's, and then at the very end, it says, declares the Lord. So here we've got this, this book, we've got this chapter of this book that is just plump full of good invitations and come on, let's get it done for God. And he stops and he goes, wait a minute, but you need to understand this. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, declares the Lord. God is making a declaration here, which a declaration is a statement with a purpose, like the declaration of independence, right? It's a statement saying, hey, this is what we're about. We're not just saying it, we're declaring it. And he's saying, I'm not like you at all. He's differentiating himself from us, God from humans. And it's important that he does that. It it was important enough that he stopped that thought of invitation to say it and there are a couple reasons why. And the first, we always have to go to context. Where are we here? Why, when was this written? Why was this written? To whom was it written? In the context of, you know, 700, 730-ish B.C., the near Middle East, there are all kinds of idols and gods with a small g out there. There are all sorts of them. And if you look at most of those gods of that time, they look an awful lot like us. They have the same desires. They have the same look. And they even have some of the same faults as humans back then. And so God was saying, I'm not like those guys. If you looked at them, most of those other gods and idols, a lot of them were angry. Some of them were very sexual. Some of them were just greedy A lot of them relied on man to make them who they were. And most of them were just downright mean. They were just mean, angry gods who man tried to always appease. And God is differentiating himself here through Isaiah the prophet saying, I'm not like them and I'm not like you. I'm a lot different. Because you know what? God is God. So he's trying to say, He's the one and only God, and this is the capital G God. This is not the small G anymore. He's defined as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's very different from us, and I'm glad he is. In the book of Numbers, chapter 23, there's a guy, there's another prophet. And remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago what a prophet was. Remember, it's someone who, who speaks and writes these things down on behalf of God. They have a vision. They have God speaking through them. So they're speaking with the authority of God. And there was another guy named Balaam. And if you've never read the story of Balaam, it's awesome. Just go to Numbers 23, read the whole chapter. Very cool stuff. But in verse 19, the prophet Balaam says this, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. He's not human. He's God. He doesn't change his mind like we tend to do. He doesn't tell the little white lies like like we do. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. And we are very different from him. And I am very thankful that my life is in the hands of God and not the people sitting next to me. Don't look around. Husbands, stop. 
Yeah. But it is good. And so he goes on to say, and this is my favorite part of this. It's such a great visual. As the heavens are higher than the earth. And, and if you've heard me preach before, you know that I need those visuals, right? I, I just need the pictures for me. And this is a great visual. The heavens are higher than the earth. The heavens just don't even touch the earth. In fact, remember when you were a little kid and you would draw and, and, and there'd be the green grass, right? You have your crayon or your marker and you draw the green grass and then you go up here and you draw the blue sky or maybe some clouds and there's always a, re- or a yellow sun with the little rays sticking out, right? And there's nothing in the middle. There's like a cat or some weird looking dog with like eight paws, and, and, right? And the heaven never touches the earth. And, and so I had an, an amazing artist help me out here. In the back of this, it says, To Mom from Tony. I was six years old, College Hill Elementary School, Cincinnati, Ohio, first grade, Mrs. Tipper's class, in case you're taking notes. And I made this. Now, my spelling wasn't necessarily the best. And, and I, I don't know if that was a hat I was wearing at the time or I just had big hair. Um, but I must have had a bee sting on my right hand because it's giant. The color brown was now a part of the rainbow. But the heavens didn't meet the earth. You know, at six years old, you don't understand artistic things like perspective and horizon and things like that, do we? Maybe we had it right back then. I mean, if you go outside, right, the heavens don't meet the earth. There's a lot of stuff in between. Now, you can look out on the horizon and you see it, right? But every time you get closer, it separates again. And what we need to understand here is when we're writing on this, heavens and earth, there were two things that were made in Genesis, right? The first two things. God created and, and that's all there is. If you ain't on earth, you're in the heavens, The heavens, when he talks about it, is the cosmos, the vast universe. It's everything else. And we are somewhere in it, floating around on this giant blue ball through space. And this is is our galaxy as we know it, or we think we know it, to the best of our ability. And it's a small part of a giant universe that we cannot even begin to fathom. Even the smartest minds like Stephen Hawking and the guys on the Big Bang Theory don't have it all together. <laughs> Stephen Hawking's real, the other guys are not. Just <laughs> The brightest, most brilliant minds cannot figure this out. Oh, there are theories, right? And people postulate things. We have ideas about all sorts of neutrinos and red dwarf stars and black holes and stuff like that that I learned from Star Trek. But we don't know. We got an idea. But it's just too much. It's too much information. It's too vast. We can go and and estimate the amount of stars in our galaxy. But that's like estimating the amounts of grains of sands on a beach. And what we know about the heavens can fill a thimble of water in the Pacific Ocean. And what God is saying here is, just like the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than yours. Are we getting this here? This is huge. God is saying, just like we can't understand this, you don't always get what I'm saying. It's just infinitely bigger, greater, 
higher. And we may never, ever be able to grasp all this, but it doesn't mean it's not real, does it? It's out there. You go out at night on a clear night, there's lots of stars. We kind of get it. You see through telescopes, you see all kinds of stuff. And just like the universe, so is God. We don't always grasp it all. In fact, we never will. But that doesn't mean he's not real. He's just a whole lot higher. He's just a whole lot bigger. He is the ocean with our little thimble of water and more. He's infinitely higher. And I love that visual. He goes on to write this. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm going to give you a newsflash here. God knows what he's doing. Believe it or not. Sometimes we kind of question that, I know. But he does know what he's doing. He, he knows everything. The past, the present, the future. We call it omniscient. It means all-knowing. He knows everything. And he sees everything. And let me give you an example. So about 10 years ago, Donna and I are on our way over to, to England. And we were visiting some friends that we met on a mission trip. And so we're, we're leaving Cincinnati. We get on the airplane. And you know how you walk on the airplane, you kind of look in the cockpit, right? You know, and you, you kind of don't look like, like full on because if you make eye contact, they think you're a terrorist and they walk you away. But this is like 10 years ago, so it was fairly safe to actually look the pilot in the eye. But like, I kind of walked on, and you kind of want to know who's driving the ship, right? I mean, come on. So I walked on. They looked pretty competent. I evaluated them in the two and a half seconds that I saw them. And I'm looking, and they're like, have you ever looked inside a cockpit? There are so many lights and buttons and gauges and doohickeys and stuff. I could never be a pilot. Because I'd be like, look at the mountain. Oh, there's a light. <laughs> right? I don't know how they do it, but they do. Because you know what? Their thoughts are higher than my thoughts when it comes to aviation. And that is why I could confidently get on this giant metal tube that they allegedly say will fly through the air magically. I'm not sure how that works. But I can get on this giant tube and fly 4,000 miles over a giant ocean, 35,000 feet up in the air, right? And have all the confidence because I know that the people up there know what they're doing. That their thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And their ways are higher than my ways when it comes to flying a plane. And you know what? As you get over land, if you're flying, especially in the, the North Sea, is you got the Gulf Stream and it's nice and warm and the land was nice and cool. And, and the air does crazy stuff when those two things mix, Right? And so we're like flying, everything's like really nice. I was like, whoa, whoa. And, 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 and you know, your, your four ounces of Coke that they give you for free uh, starts splashing and your eight peanuts roll off your table. <laughs> we fly coach. Um, but you're bumping, right? I mean, you're bumping, you're going back and forth. A door goes open, a piece of luggage falls out. And yet it, it, that stuff normally would just be freaking me out. But yet, it never does bother me when I'm on an airplane because I know, first of all, there's nothing I can do about it, right? You know, stop, okay, oh, I got it from here, right? Um, but I know that I know that those people who are up front know what they're doing. 
that this plane was built to experience those things and that they will get me down safely. And they did. I'm still here. In life, when we experience turbulence, when we experience those hard times, it's nice to know that the guy upstairs knows what he's doing. It's nice to have the confidence that the person, the, the, the being, God, is in control and knows what's going on. And that's huge. If you take nothing else away from today, know that, because that's big. Well, last week, uh, Tom shared a story about his dog, Pilot. Remember that one? Now that dog goes out and rolls in the stank and everything and then comes back in. That's a crazy dog. It's a great dog. But uh, he's not as cool as this guy. Come on, yeah. This is my dog. I have Tom show, yeah, yeah. This is Bosley. Bosley is an 11-year-old, 22-pound miniature schnauzer with no teeth. He also has diabetes and has to get two shots a day. He's the Wilford Brimley of dogs. I love this dog. He tolerates me. He absolutely loves Zana. I usually get the stink eye. Hey, oh, it's just you. But I love this dog, and because I love this dog and my thoughts are slightly higher than his, I keep the door closed. I keep him on a leash when we take him for a walk. And when we go out of town, I entrust him with someone that I trust very much. Because my ways are a little bit higher than his. And I know that when that door opens and there's a squirrel running across the street, not only will I run after it, but he will too. <laughs> if there's a person jogging by, if he does not have a leash on, he's gone. Right? That's what dogs do. He's just gone. And, and I got news for you. When a little 22-pound dog goes, things don't always work out the best for him, do they? He could get lost, he could get hurt, he could get squished. And so because I love him and my ways and my thoughts are just a little higher than his, I know that I need to keep that door closed and I need to say no sometimes. And I'm not saying we are dogs and that I'm God. No. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that his ways are so much higher. And sometimes he does have to say no. Because he loves us and he cares for us. It's, it's almost like he knows everything. He does. He sees the big picture. He gets the big picture, right? And, and if, you, if you're a fan of like 80s movies, you've probably seen a movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anybody seen that, right? And there's this great scene where they're in the, the museum. And... Cameron is standing by himself, and he's just kind of looking at this painting. And as he looks, he just kind of focuses down all the way until it just becomes this, this blob of paint on a canvas. And it's, it's this painting here. It's called A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte by Joie Seurat. Four years of French, baby. It's a beautiful classic picture. George Seurat was one of the founders of a movement called pointillism. It is thousands of tiny little points of paint put on a canvas to create this, to create depth and shadow 
and beauty. And unfortunately, I couldn't get a super high-resolution picture. But when you look a little closer, it just doesn't look like much. It's blobs and lines and some swirls. If you can get really close to it, you'll even see those swirls start mixing with the weave of the canvas. And it just becomes little dots and blurriness. And until you see the big picture, I mean, if I asked you right now, how many boats were on the lake? How many dogs were in the park? What color was this little girl's mother's parasol? Right? I don't know. I'm seeing this much. But what God sees is this. Can I get where I'm going with this here? He sees beyond just our immediate needs to where we're going down here. He sees that that great... I'll give, this was not included. I'm going to give you this one for free. I was down in Cincinnati visiting some friends, and I was coming back up. This is just a, a, a month or so ago. And I had gotten delayed. It drove me nuts, actually, because I am one of those, like, I have to be on time all the time. And I had gotten delayed, and I'm running like 10 minutes, 5 minutes late. And uh, I get up. I'm on 71, going the speed limit. And, uh, ish. And uh, I get up just past uh, Mount Sterling, and, and there's this huge backup. I mean huge. People are getting out of their cars. It's like 187 degrees outside, give or take. And, and if you remember, this was, uh, you know, probably five, six, maybe a little bit longer back where there was that fatal car accident. And I was on the, that highway for an hour and a half, just sitting there. And, uh, and I stopped for a second. I went, you know, if I hadn't been delayed... I don't know. You know. I'm not saying I would have been, but you never know. I was so frustrated and so bummed out that I had gotten delayed. And yet that might have just been God knowing the big picture and saving my hide. And I'll take it. I'll take it anytime. Anyway. So in this, the knowledge of this is why we call this be at peace. Because when you realize that you're in God's hands and that he knows what he's doing, a tremendous peace floods your heart. Like being on that airplane and hitting that turbulence, right? I knew that someone else was in control who knew what they were doing. It's big. At one point, Jesus was teaching some people. He called it the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away, for the, uh, store away in barns for the winter, as your, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? It goes on to say this. Hear this. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, as, as medicine has progressed, we've learned just the opposite of that, don't we? Stress, anxiety, worry, that takes away from our life. It takes away from our quality of life. Instead of asking, God, why are you doing this? 
I've been there. <laughs> I've asked that a lot of times. And I've, I've had to train myself and train my thoughts to say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust you. Instead of blaming God, I've learned that he only wants the best for me. So what do I need to learn from this? What are you trying to teach me, God? What's going on here? Right? All right. Well, let me, this brings us to this question. If his ways and thoughts are so much higher than ours, what do we do with it? How do we, how do we apply this to ourselves, right? I mean, the first three were pretty, fairly easy to apply once explained by, by Tom because he's so, like, amazing. Um, you can tell him I said that. And, um, but we need to understand, what do we do with this one? His ways are higher. Well, let me give you the first one, this. Elevate your thoughts to be more like his thoughts. Let's meet him. Let's meet him in the middle somewhere. I guarantee he's going to have to meet you a lot further down than we are up. But let's work on elevating our thoughts to be more like his, to think in his word more often than we do. In fact, on that Sermon on the Mount later, Jesus goes on to say this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. You hear that? Do not worry about tomorrow. That's Jesus saying that. If Jesus says it, it's okay. You don't have to worry. Here's your permission of the day. Jesus said you don't have to worry about tomorrow. That doesn't mean you don't think about tomorrow. It means you don't worry about tomorrow. He says, he goes on to say this, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We got issues to deal with today. Let's work on that. Does that mean that you don't plan? No, absolutely not. Does that mean you don't go to the grocery and get, you know, groceries for the days ahead or the weeks ahead, however you shop? Absolutely. Do you, do you not save money? No, you do. He also made us with this thing called a brain and the, the power to use it and hands and feet to go do the things that we need to do. But he's saying, don't stress out about it. Put your mind on the things of God. Seek first his kingdom. And all that other stuff will fall into line. Let's get focused on what God is doing. And so when we don't see those things happening, when we have a hard time and we're struggling and we're going, okay, God, why? My first question to myself is, am I, am I seeking God? I don't mean am I looking for him. I mean, am I seeking him? Am I digging down deep in the scriptures and going, I don't know what half this stuff means, Lord, but just keep telling me. Are we praying? Am I getting on my knees and, and with everything I got, praying? Am I fasting? That means giving up something so you can spend time with God. Am I doing that on a regular basis? Am I serving? Am I worshiping? Am I putting him first? Because that other stuff then comes in. Well, the other thing you can do, and you probably have already guessed this, is elevate your ways or your actions to be more like his ways. So elevate your thoughts, and we need to elevate our minds and our actions. Sorry about that, our actions to be more like his ways. Philippians 2 says this. We're starting at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that means, hey, guess what? If you're a Christian, listen up. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, this is for you, is what he's saying here. 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. And here's our actions. You ready for this? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. How do we elevate our ways to be more like God? We put others first. We seek Him first. We be the same mindset of Christ. In fact, he goes on with this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters. Paul continues this chapter by saying, your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ. Talks about Jesus being found in the form of a man, making himself a complete servant and humbly giving himself as a sacrifice. If you want to make your ways higher, he's given us a blueprint for that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Peace is a hard thing to grasp sometimes. The peace of God. You know, it's, it's, it's a little easier to grasp maybe love because we can experience that just in the natural. Joy. There are things that make us joyous. But peace, that that innermost peace that says, you know what? I know my world is falling apart around me, but God is my Lord. And he's got my back. And I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I am. Right? And that's not easy to say. That takes time. That takes growth. But are we going for it? Are we growing? Are we looking for it? When God says go, do we go? Right? Do we step out on the water? Do we reach into the fiery furnace? What do we do to elevate our ways as high as his, or at least strive for it? It's got this, the worship team brought a wonderful song to talk about this, and guys, just, just bring it.